I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping that spoopy. Always. <laughs> David's still in here. <laughs> Where are you at? <laughs> we at? No. I mean, technically, we are recording this around the holiday season. So I get it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We That's still him. Nighty Night. We miss him. We do miss him. I miss him. You know? Like, it is it is a new year. He hasn't been here for a couple of episodes. Actually, yeah, we, we didn't even get to end off the year with him as well. So it'll be nice to see him again. It's been three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. But we are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelop you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. By pledge on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, kicking things off with even more... Well, not even kicking things off. This is our second week. But keeping things going with our Attack of the Sequels month. This month has already been a blast. Yeah. Like Candyman, we hit the fucking ground running with that. <laughs> fucking love that movie. Me too. Me yeah. too. Like I I think it was solidified for me on that The love of that movie for yeah. sure. But uh the the film that we are covering today is 2018's Halloween. First and foremost, Freddie. Thoughts. All right. So, I mean, I've seen this movie maybe a total of 3 times, this being the third. Um and and like you said, we're recording in December, and not that long ago, we just got the sequel to this movie, talking right. about sequels, Attack of the Sequels, um, and made me appreciate this movie a lot more. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of great things in this movie where they kind of like nailed it, and I think the tone overall was pretty strong. There's some moments that did take me out of it, but it's one of those things where it's like, I really appreciate the time and effort they put into this movie, you can tell that they cared about this. Yeah. They really wanted to um, bring this franchise back and bring it back very strong. That's and true. The opening scene alone, I was like, cool. You guys are like doing really crazy camera shots, great edits. Uh, the sound mixing is really good. Uh, the action is pretty strong. We see a lot of old characters. We see new characters. And that actually blends really well, too. It doesn't feel very forced. Yeah. Uh, and then we see a different side of Michael Myers as well, which I really enjoyed. And, of course, the body count is a lot higher this time <laughs> around from the first movie. And I love that it's a direct sequel from the original. Yeah, that, that's the, one thing to definitely preface, is that this is a direct sequel from the 1978 John Carpenter's version. Right. All of the other sequels after that don't truly matter, even though they pay a homage to some of the other sequels. Um, But all of those sequels technically do not matter compared to this. Yeah. So So this is a very strong opening to the relaunch of the franchise for me. Right. And I like that. I agree. I think in 2018, because I want to probably say this is also my third time watching this as well. Uh, First time was with you in theaters. 
um, with the folks from Goodnight Movie Club. Shouts out. Um, but when we watched it, I remember just feeling so refreshed. Yeah. And just feeling extremely good with the direction that they were going with this. And I loved the I loved it. I, I very much enjoyed enjoyed this movie. And it I just really like how they kind of hit everything home in yeah. this movie. And it really brought that sense of nostalgia and that refreshing hint to it. And we got to see Laurie Strode in a very unique way like she's a mother now mm-hmm. uh, she's this crazy prepper uh like doomsday prepper type uh, person um it, it's it's it feels so, badass though. yeah it That's does yeah no yeah, it yeah. does it definitely doesn't feel like she's uh lost her marbles as everyone tried to make it seem right in this movie um because it, it and that was one thing that i guess irritated about the about this movie to me and that that kind of the, the way same they thing. treated her as a character yeah, like okay, the, and it's fair. one of the things you mentioned kind of f- frequently is where you kind of get upset when they don't believe the main character. Yeah. Um, and this is this is one of those concepts here where it's just like, how is that so hard to believe when this person is still alive? Like, yeah. it would be different if this person was dead and then they're just like, oh, I see this person everywhere now. And, um, you know, this person should be dead. And then the big surprise is like, surprise, they're actually not dead. But in this, it was like, oh, he's incarcerated. And you heard, it's all over the news, that the bus crashed. And this bus was supposed to be transporting Michael Myers Mm. to another facility. And it crashed. Um, And none of the bodies were found. No one was dead except for police officers. So, like, to me, it it felt... I, I don't understand why the way uh, Laurie felt was so frowned upon, I guess, from the other side of the characters. Like, oh, mom, you're crazy. No way he's coming after you again after 40 odd years. Like, no right. way that's going to happen. When it's just like, why is that not plausible? Like, she obviously didn't move out of Illinois. She doesn't live in Haddonfield anymore, but she didn't move out of Illinois. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I don't understand, like, why why is that not so feasible that he wouldn't come for her? Um, right. Even I, though technically he doesn't. Yeah. Um, it's it's a weird uh, perspective of, like, how the characters see her as a person. And kind of like you said, like, they kind of see her as, like, the crazy lady. Yeah. And it, it makes sense, like, why she's doing it. But at the same time, like, I can see how it's like, all right, this is something that's disrupting our own internal family. Of it's course, caused yeah. issues, and that's probably why she got... Like cast it aside. I mean, a she bit. got her child taken away from her. Because yeah, of it, so age twelve, which is like sad yeah. and stuff like that too. And honestly, I like that backstory, but at the same time, like with her daughter, played by Judy Greer, I'm kind of like, okay, we have this backstory of like she's been trained, she's been doing like combat. Yeah, but we don't really see that that much in this movie. Right. And I feel like I would wanted to explore that a little bit more. One sense where she was shooting. And that's it. Right. Yeah, and I feel like, like, okay, cool. Like, if that's the backstory, let's see that come into, like, the bend. Like, I want to see it. And then I was like, hopefully, maybe in the sequel. And then I won't talk about the sequel, but yeah. yeah. We'll we'll talk about the sequel, but not in this particular episode. We're, we are going to save um, our talk of Halloween Kills at the uh, post-show. Um, because I do want to dive into that and how this movie has kind of shifted our opinion of Halloween Kills mm-hmm. as well. 
Um, but let's go ahead and just jump right up into this. Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green, released October 19th of 2018 with a runtime of one hour and 49 minutes and a budget of $10 million, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that this budget was that small. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing about Blumhouse is they really know how to stretch a fucking dollar. Yes, they, they can. They really know how to stretch a dollar. And a box office of $255.6 million. And the franchise is back. There you go. They know how to make some fucking money, too. That's yeah, the thing do. about Blumhouse. They know how to make some money. Rating of 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. We open with the iconic 1978 Halloween font to the sound and uh. image of a clock ticking. Inside Smith's Gross Rehabilitation Facility, Dr. Sartain is asking a list of questions to a man while jotting down the answers. A woman named Dana is looking around the facility as the patients are being evaluated. Music plays throughout the speakers from a vinyl record. Dana tests her her microphone before saying where her and her partner Aaron are. Aaron adds that they are there to interview a patient that's been in captivity there for the last 40 years, claiming that he hasn't even said a word. He is about to continue, but the buzzer to the door sounds. Dr. Sartain introduces himself to them. Dana thanks him for meeting with them, hoping to have this opportunity before Michael Myers is transferred to Glass Hill, especially since they are less accommodating. Sartain is completely pissed by this. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, yes, they're going to treat him inhumane. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is weird, but it makes sense as for him as a character and being yeah. so enthralled with like the character of Michael Myers. That, that fascinates someone. me. And, and you know, I, I feel like that is a play on today. And, and this is for folks who are super into true crime to not take offense to this. Please don't. Um, but like that is what it reminds me of. How, like how kind of. How, of a serial killer. Right. Gotcha. Um, and not. In in this way, in Sartain's way, he romanticizes Michael Myers. Like, yeah. he romanticizes what he does, and he really wants to see, like, he wants to understand why, and in his eyes, the only way I can understand why it's if I do it myself, if yeah. I give it a shot. Um, so I I understand that. And, and not to say true crimers or true crime um, lovers and things like that. that. Like, of course, yeah. Some probably do take it very unhealthy, but most of them don't. Um, and with the that, I think that is what David Gordon Green was trying to uh, facilitate here. I think he was right. trying to facilitate that type of culture. And same thing goes with podcasters. <laughs> like that's true too. Yeah, yeah. Because these they two people about... are podcasters, yeah. and the research and the depths that our podcasters are willing to go to kind of get gain the information this listenership. Yeah, yeah. And to have it as authentic as possible. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting the direction they went with introducing us to these characters first. Not like the old characters. It's like completely new people. It's like, oh, are these going to be our main characters? Right. And I love that these are our main characters for a little bit in the movie. And it's like, no, this movie doesn't care about anyone. Anyone can go at any time. And I was like, yes, I love that, I love that shit. It's I like, love that. Cool, introduce me to these people. Like, let's learn about them a little bit. Let's learn about their motives. Oh, they're gone now. Okay, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let the story continue. I agree. Yeah. Zartain calls Glass Hill the pit of hell and that Myers has been kept there to be studied. Suppose, supposing the state lost interest, Aaron chimes in with a smile that being the reason why they're there. They move down the halls, Sartain sharing that Myers has been um, his life's obsession. 
claiming that he's examined every case file about Myers, adding um, that he was a student of Dr. Loomis before he passed away. He then lobbied to be assigned to Michael himself. Dana asked if there's any if there's been any progress while holding the microphone toward him listening through headphones. He answers that Michael has been seen by over 50 clinical psychiatrists, Sheesh. yet Loomis was the only one to see him in the wild, concluding that he was nothing more than pure evil. Outside the, in the yard, Sartain goes over the patient's activities while in there. He shares that in the in, that it pains it pains him seeing him move moved to a facility that will be less accommodating. They stop. He points out Michael standing in the middle middle of the ground, con, uh, commenting that he can't he can speak, but he chooses not to. Aaron wants to get closer to him to get a sense of his awareness of lack that or lack thereof. It, it's interesting that they want him to speak so bad, right? Like yeah, it's uh, it's I guess one of those things is like oh I want to get that. That juicy material from him as a right. person, right? Or, or just the fact that, like, I want to be the one to get him to talk, right? Like, I want to be, I want to have that accolade. I want to be the one that, like, Michael Myers talk, talk to, to me. me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I, I it's so interesting that they want to get him to talk so bad. I, one thing that I do want want to mention here is that I do like that we don't get a full profile of his face, but we get right. side, side profiles of his of his face because I think James Jude Courtney has a very particular. Um, Gaston when it comes to his look right mm. like he has this grainy deep gritty look with the eye kind of fucked up from and which is a beautiful homage to the original when he gets right. the um, uh, pretty much stabbed it? in the eye he gets stabbed in the eye yeah. but it's with the um, coat hanger yeah, that's right. Um, okay, from so, the closet. Yeah, yeah, so he gets stabbed in the eye in the closet. And I thought that was a beautiful homage to that. And and I really, really like that we're starting to see the homages and to 1978. I remember right watching that. this movie with all of us at the movie theater and really was shocked about like how much care they did with the camera work, too. Oh, my this God. This entire opening sequence is yeah. gorgeous to look at. There's like panning shots. There's David Gordon Green's beautiful a great edits. director. He directed yeah. Pineapple Express, which is also Fantastic shot beautifully. Movie. Yeah. Um, and he also directed that one movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I think it's called Stronger. Stronger, okay. Yeah, so he yeah. directed that as well. So like David Gordon Green has a fantastic repertoire when it yeah. comes to his line of work. And he's a big fan of close-ups, which oh, like, that that's is. really cool. It's like, yeah. all right, we get some like nice little eye action. The 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 clock scene immediately, we're like we're right up in there, yeah. And we hear all the um, the sound mixing. And I was just like, oh, this is like really cool. Yeah, no, great. I agree. The editing is very strong in this movie. I definitely agree. Sartain mentions that he's very aware, claiming that he was watching him as he arrived, questioning Aaron if he would like to tie his left shoelace, pointing out Tovali with the umbrella has a fixation uh, for them, telling them to, un to not underestimate no one. Aaron ties his shoe before they begin to move toward Michael, Sartain insisting that they don't go past the yellow line. He calls out to Michael, sharing that he has some people that would like to meet him. Aaron approaches as close as he can, introducing himself to Michael. He shares that he's he's been following his case for years, yet knows very little about him, wanting to know more about that night and those involved. He steps a bit closer, asking if he ever thinks about them or feels guilt. Right at, uh, right at the foot of the yellow line, he looks back at Sartain, he nods his head towards Aaron. Aaron continues that he borrowed something at the attorney general's office. He pulls out Michael's mask from his bag, mm. holding it up. Michael slightly turns his head, Aaron knowing that he, he feels the mask. The patients begin to get rowdy and loud, chanting, moaning, and laughing. Aaron asks for, for him to say something, claiming that the mask is part of him, 
wanting him to say something. Dana looks back at Sartain in concern. He motions to her that it is all right. Aaron continues as the patients continue to moan and yell, causing causing us to get his this magnificent title shot. Mm. It's awesome. This entire scene I love very much, and me it's too. very strong for it to be the opening too. And the thing that like really like stands out for me. I love the set design of it being like just white and red squares. And it reminds you of like a chessboard. And I love that the line where it's like, don't estim- uh, underestimate anyone. It's like, don't underestimate your opponent. You're playing games right now. Yes. And you're going facing off to this guy. Right. Who's a And master. this is your move right now. Right. And it just feels like a chess game. Yeah. And, no, and, I, I and definitely I feel agree. like that's done on purpose. I was like, damn, they, I love this movie. They put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. Like I, I, I really, really, I remember us, like, even when we watched this in theaters and this scene happened, we yeah. were so hyped. Like, the the crowd went wild. And, you know, this is a scene that if this was the only thing from the first original trailer, yeah. I would have been happy with that. Yeah. Like, I would have been so hyped for that. Um, and granted, the trailer was also very intense and really dark. But even either way, I was happy with uh, the outcome of this film. Transition to Haddonfield, Illinois. Aaron and Dana are recording their conversation of their experience meeting Michael and wanting to track down Lori. He wonders if one monster created another. As he poetically is talking about all his mumbo-jumbo about Lori and Michael's relationship, they pull up to her property. A sign of on on a rusty, heavy-duty fence that says, quote-unquote, no trespassing. Dana reads off the sign, handing Aaron an orange envelope that has cash inside. He hands it back, telling her that journalists don't pay for their interviews. She uh, tells him to smile when he when she notices that they're on camera. He rings her intercom. Lori answers with a swift yes. Aaron mentions that they're looking for Lori Strode. She's silent. He stutters that they're making a podcast, Dana interrupting that they're investigative journalists. He asks if... if she, she asks if she has a moment because she because they have traveled such a long way. Dana mentions that they have money uh, and the gate opens. They are stoked as they head inside her property. Lori's property is surrounded with uh, prepped-like materials surrounding the house. The podcasters ring on her doorbell as they st- as they are standing in front of her door. Lori unlocks a million locks Which and removing great. a bar before opening the the door. And again, this great editing great. and great sound mixing. Oh, you hear yeah. the bar like hit the ground. You just hear boom, boom. boom. It's like, boom. damn. Yeah. It's like this is a heavy ass bar. Yeah, like you get I, context. I really understand like every aspect of like right. the 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 way that this scene is portraying how Lori felt yeah. for the past forty years. We like, get just like, this alone. So much exposition, and it doesn't feel like rushed or anything. It's like I get exactly rushed. how this character lives doesn't her feel life now. Shoehorned. Right. Like you understand that, like either one, she lives in extreme amount of fear, or right. two, she's prepping up, um, and maybe both, right? So, like that is something that I really, really, really enjoy about this particular scene because the exposition is tremendous. Yes, they greet Lori, asking if they can come inside and sit down and talk. She allows them inside her home. Sitting across from them is um, as Dana explains that they have made several award-winning public radio ex- exposés. She continues that they like to re-examine incidents um, with an unbiased lens, believing that there is a lot to learn from Lori's experience. Lori tells them that there is nothing to learn, no new insights or discoveries. Aaron asks if he is real. She asks um, who he is speaking of. He simply mentions the boogeyman. Mm. About to explain a quote that uh, he read of her, she cuts him off questioning his belief on the boogeyman. He comments that he believes in Michael Myers, but not the boogeyman. She comments that that's, that he should. He acknowledges. And I love this, too. She's like, well, you should. And he's yeah. like, okay. 
<laughs> Dana adds that uh, Michael is a human being who killed his sister when he was six and then came after her, wondering why. Wanting a glimpse inside his mind, that being the reason on the importance of Lori's story. Lori's offended and confused. Aaron sliding some facts of her life, two failed marriages, rocky relationship uh, with her, do- her daughter and granddaughter. She questions wanting to understand Michael, who murdered five people. And I like this portion here that now we know, like, oh, shit, Lori had a kid. Yeah. Like, that That was great. And I, I know, like, in that moment, uh, for me, I was like, oh, I wonder what she looks like. Like, like <laughs> I didn't know it was Judy Greer playing her in that right. moment, but it's just interesting. She continues that she's twice divorced in a basket case. He somberly mentions that they are transferring Michael, Lori knowing that it is tomorrow at 7 p.m. Dana sharing that, she, that he will be locked away until the end of his days. Lori understanding, and that being the point. Irritated, Dana switches gears, bringing up, uh, bringing up when the state tried taking her daughter away at 12 years old, calling her an unfit mother. Wondering how long until she regained custody, Lori's smiles fades and fades to a frown, answering that she didn't, she didn't, knowing that they already knew that. That's man. I want to talk it's, about the scene in a moment. Like, yeah. let, let's go and finish up this, this last bit of the scene um, before we cut to uh, Karen. But uh, she gets up from the chair, heading toward the door. Aaron comments that they met Michael and showed and and he showed him the mask, but there was no response. He claims that he won't talk with anyone, but he believes that he will speak with her, trying to persuade her to sit down with him and and say all all the things she wants to say to him, asking her to come with them to help her her free herself. Lori holds back tears, opening her door, telling them that their time is up. She holds out her hand um, for a moment as she tells them to get out. <laughs> Now, I want to talk about this scene mainly because this is also an interesting scene morally. Yeah. Because we have things like in California, the death penalty is still legal. Right. And for some people, they find that to be extremely inhumane, um, barbaric even. And Lori... we can very much tell Lori in this moment is very much pro death penalty for Michael Myers. Yeah. And, um, it's so much so that she wants to be the one to put the, put the bullet in his head. And, um, this is interesting because we have Dana and Aaron who both do not want Michael Myers to die. Right. They want him to very much be alive. And in some ways, I don't think they want him free, but they want him to be able to tell his side. I can see that too. Yeah. It's they're just trying to get as big of a story as possible. It's like if they're gonna talk to or if he's gonna talk to anyone, it's going to be you. Right. And it's really interesting because this scene does so much for the movie and I feel like it's really well written where we get a lot of backstory. We got a lot of exposition about her life and the traumas that she's gone through, two divorces, has a granddaughter and a daughter that they're estranged and pretty much also gives us uh, context about the future. It's like he's being moved. Now we've got right. that information going on too. We get a lot of inf- information in this one scene. It's true. And again, it doesn't feel forced. It feels very natural. And I was like, oh, this is a great way to talk about her backstory and what's coming up next. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Cut to Lori's daughter, Karen, and her husband, Ray, in the kitchen setting down mouse traps. They're, I will admit, watching this the third time around, I do not find Ray's jokes funny. No, he's not funny. Yeah. Like, I think I remember finding them funny when I first watched this movie. And even then, I don't remember because I'm just like, these aren't funny. Like, uh, these, these, <laughs> like, th- th- it sounds so corny to me 
and I was just like, I wouldn't feel bad if he died. Like <laughs> it, it, it's really funny because like like you said, like rewatching this, I see a different perspective, and I'm like, oh, this was the start of what's coming up next in the next sequel. Right. <laughs> I was yes. like, oh no, this is where it came from. It's like yeah. this is a little hint of what the next direction is going to go, and I'm like, this is not the humor for me. Yeah. Nor it, do I like the, it. The humor definitely was not hitting for me as well. Yeah. I don't know. Their daughter, Allison, comes into the kitchen, her mom telling her that she, I, it, so much so wasn't hitting for me, I left out all his jokes. Good. And I usually yeah. write the jokes in, yeah. uh, but I left them all out. Um, Allison mentions that, or excuse me, her mom telling, telling her that she uh, can't make it tonight since she rescheduled her last, or that she can make it tonight since she rescheduled her last session. Allison mentions that um, not being a big deal. Her dad comments that um, her making it to National Honor Roll Society is a big deal. I actually made it to National Honor Roll Society. Hell yeah. 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 2008. <laughs> Karen mentions that they are that they are excited to meet her boyfriend Cameron as Rake uh, continues the, that the family has a reputation. She tries to get him to stop as Allison is uncomfortable, but he continues until um, he snaps the mousetrap on his finger. He's like, oh, I got peanut butter on my penis. Not funny. Okay. It's a weird thing to say. It is. What? Like, come on. I got peanut butter on me. You could just say that. That, that. That's it. Yeah, more normal. Oh, man, I got peanut butter on my penis. And I'm going to say that in front of my daughter. That's not <laughs> weird at all. What the <laughs> fuck? These are the jokes I'm talking about. Like, they're very old-timey jokes. Yeah. Like, it's just like kind of these... Uh, it's like slapstick out, comedy out, out of nowhere. Yeah. Kind like, of what? jokes. Like, they're, they're just so meh. Allison claims that Cameron is a good guy, and they will, they will see it. They will see when they meet meet him tonight. He um, he mentions that they are all nice and begins joking until someone becomes pregnant. Allison irritatedly asks him to stop. He leaves out of the kitchen to clean the peanut butter off his hand. She turns around to Karen, asking if she asked if if she asked her grandmother to come. Karen doesn't understand right away. Allison reminding her of the details. Karen claims that she did, reciting um, reciting that she talked to her yesterday, and she won't be able to come. Allison not too quick to believe her, but Karen continues explaining that Lori needs behavioral therapy and for her not to take it personally. The doorbell rings. Allison packs her things and gets up, saying that it is Vicky and she has to go. She says her goodbyes, meeting with her friends Vicky and Dave to walk to school. Allison knows that her mom is lying because she has contacted her grandmother herself. Vicky doesn't understand uh, what her mom's deal is. Allison explains that she tries to keep her away from Lori, her family becoming nutcases this time of the year. Vicky agrees that she would also skip over the Halloween shit and go straight to Christmas. She asks if Allison's grandma, grandma ever talks talks about it. Allison mentions that it is pretty much defines her life, traumatizing her ever since. Dave makes a fantastic call back to the sequels, asking if it was her brother. He was like, wasn't it her brother or something? This is right, one of those callbacks that I'm talking about, whereas Halloween 2 callback here, great. This is awesome. I really, really enjoy this Halloween 2 callback. Um... She answers that it wasn't, and that being a that being a excuse me, and that being a bit that people made up to make themselves feel better. Vicky adding that it is it is scary to have your friends get killed by a crazy person. Dave stops them, arguing um, there is a lot of worse things happening and happening today, and a couple and a couple of people getting killed is not a big deal. What? Uh, I mean. Like, once again, I think this is also around the moral aspect of where, let's say, for example, and once again, everybody, we are recording this early, but uh, the tornadoes that hit in um, Arkansas, right? Uh -huh. Like, 100 people died. Yeah. And 
us not being from Arkansas, we're not going to be as effective. We're going to be like, holy shit. And then we're probably going to do our, our, do the dishes, you know? So it's like, I think that's in context of what he's trying to say of like society. This right, is right, how right. society takes things. Like, is it really that big of a deal? Like five people got stabbed. We didn't know them. Um, and granted, he's not putting correlation into the aspect of just like her grandmother went through this experience. But yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's really funny because that scene in their conversation, Loki reminds me of the Dark Knight. Where, uh, yeah, okay. weird, right? Right. <laughs> the correlation, the Joker, when he's in the hospital and he's talking to Two Face, uh, he's talking about, it's like, oh, when this happens, it's all according to the plan. No one panics, yes. but when it's something out of control or like something that he does, everyone loses their mind, right? Like, people tend to pick and choose which disasters are like the worst Most things important. and stuff like that too and that right. kind of reminded me it's like oh yeah that's kind of like what you said like how society thinks it's like right. cool it's like oh a natural disaster as devastating as it is like it happens a lot right. and yeah. it's very tragic but it's like if a guy goes into san francisco and stabs like five people in a club people start to like really associate like oh that's I don't know. It's weird. No, it's, no, that, that that makes so. I don't sense. even know where I'm going with this. But. No, no, I I understand where you're yeah, going yeah, yeah. because like it, it if someone were to do something quite like that where they go to a club and they stab a, a few people in a in a certain city, right? Like for some people who live in the city, they would be like, oh, well, that's just the city, right? You know, and other people who probably aren't would be like, holy shit, guess I can't go to clubs in San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? So right. like it's. It, it's weird that tragedies are subjective. Right. And that's fucked up to say. Exactly. It's it's, messed up. It's so fucked up to say that. But that is pretty much what he's saying, is that tragedies are subjective. You choose what tragedy is worse to you. Yeah. And that's fucked. And I think that's the social commentary in this movie, too. Yes. I agree. Um, And I think that's the whole social commentary. Yeah, yeah. Of this movie because we get that from the podcasters too. Yeah. Um, Vicky reminds him that Allison's grandmother was almost murdered. He acknowledges but comments that she escaped and they caught him and he's incarcerated. She tells him to shut up. Allison nodding her head. He realizes and shuts up about it. Switching gears to um, if it is cool to blow up one of those pumpkin heads. He's like, it's cool to blow up one of these pumpkins? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he lights a firework of place to get inside the pumpkin. They run away. It blowing up and cutting to Allison and her boyfriend Cameron scaring her. He's asked if she, is, um, if she has everything for their costume for tomorrow night she tells him no because um she was more focused on tonight he chuckles thinking that she was joking about her parents being old-fashioned she smiles telling him to be nice he exclaims that he's excited for tonight they start making out until their friend oscar comes up to them um, faking barfing noises he kisses both of them on the forehead joking around and mocking them he asks if they are uh, if they have their costumes ready for tomorrow allison looking at cam I'm just going to call him Cam from now on. He hesitates to tell Oscar. He pushes and tickles Cam, knowing that he ditches him. Um, Allison... Allison's had enough and leaves the two of two of them alone, and she goes at she goes to head in class. Allison is in the cl- is in class listening to her teacher and then looking out of the window, spotting her grandmother across the street, staring at her. Cut to Allison and Lori at the football field. Allison looking at the money in an orange envelope. She tells Lori that she can't accept it accept this with her back turned to her. Lori wanting her to have it and use it on whatever she wants. Allison comments that she'll just save it for college. Lori telling her to fuck that and go to Mexico instead. 
<laughs> True. She tells Allison to not worry about her mom, knowing that she would freak out, but she will get over it. She is walking away, Allison stopping her to ask, why can't she? Lori looks back at her, Allison uttering, quote-unquote, the boogeyman, reminding her that, that all this hiding and prep was for nothing, taking priority over her family, costing them. Lauren comments that if her daughter hates her, but she's prepared, she's prepared with the horrors of the of this world, is something that she can live with. With tears in her eyes, Allison tells her um, to say goodbye to Michael and get over it. Lori says goodbye. Quick cut to Lori shooting the fuck out of some mannequins and some target practice. <laughs> Montage to her cleaning her guns and checking her guns and fucking loading her guns and shit. She she does a lot with guns. Yeah, it's also great editing yeah, again great. and great close up shots of random things. It's like, all right, cool. You're making this scene very interactive for the viewer to be like, okay, she knows her shit and she is a very dangerous person. And Jimmy Lee Curtis is so, I don't know, um, enthralling in this movie. I feel like she steals every scene as she should. Oh, yeah. Like, you can tell, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, like, she definitely has her chops in this for sure. Like, right. She cares about this franchise as much as the director. Right. Even, yeah. even though, like, she, after Halloween H2O, which we don't talk about, um, she was just like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, like, I I'm really, good. I'm like, don't want to come back. You know, I, I'm good. Um, and Danielle Harris came back for Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um, when Danielle Harris, I think she was in two, I think. Um, but that was also super interesting. But yeah. it, it it's it's interesting how they come back, <laughs> you know, after a while. Um, the podcasters are at are at a motel playing some archive tapes of Loomis on January twenty second, nineteen seventy nine. Loomis suggests termination of Michael Myers, death being the only solution of Michael, and nothing is to be gained from keeping him alive. Michael is in the process of being transferred out of the facility as Loomis continues. Quote: A shot of sodium theopentanol would render him unconscious. It, um, I'll be with him to make sure his life is extinguished. My ear on his chest to hear for myself that his vitals are no longer functioning, and immediately incinerate the body. It needs to die. End quote. I love that. I love that. It, this is great. I love all this. <laughs> yeah, evil dice tonight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just this whole concept of even considering Michael not truly a human is so fascinating. Right. That's why I love the boogeyman more than like Mike Myers. Right. Yeah. yeah. The Baba Yaga. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lori is outside the facility with a gun in her hand, trying trying her best to hold it together. Sartain watching from an office and murmuring for Michael to not worry and that he'll be he'll be by his side. You fucking weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like, you are so weird, dude. Lori takes a shot with uh, from a small alcoholic bottle, shuddering her breaths as she waits. Michael sits on sits on um sits on the bus or sits in the bus. Sartain telling the guard that he's still he's still his patient until he's in somebody else's care. So he's going to see his duty through t- through till the end. I like how the pose was just like, oh, good fuck, dude. You didn't even have to tell me that. You can go on the bus. I don't care. He gets aboard <laughs> the bus sitting right in front. The gate buzzes and the bus pulls out. Lori watching as it exits. She cries and screams as a silhouette of the shape moves toward her. Did you notice that? Yeah. That is great. That's really cool. I love that. Such a great concept. Attention there. to detail. Seriously. I wonder who it actually was, though. That's true. Because yeah. it was just like a shape. That was moving towards her. Yeah. Maybe that's why Nick Castle is in the 
Maybe he's just, just, he's, maybe he's, he's just that shape. There's two Mike Myers <laughs> out there. That's good. Cut to Allison and her family at dinner with her award on the table as they talk about DNA with Cam. Ray mentions that he knows his dad, Lonnie, and that he used to sell him peyote, um, <laughs> which I had to look up. They bring him back in the sequel, too. Yeah. I was like, but it, it flipped. Lonnie said that Ray gave him peyote. Right. But whatever. We're not going to talk about the sequel, though. Gavin drops his head. Allison calling her dad, um, dad off. Um, Ray chuckles as he c- apologizes, but he continues that he learned a lot about himself f- well, with Lonnie as he tripped balls. They all laugh, Karen changing the subject about uh, asking about their plans at the high school dance. Ray asks if they are going, um, what, ask what are they going as? Cam doesn't know if he's allowed to say, looking over at Allison. She gives him a go-ahead. He mentions that they are going as Bonnie and Clyde, and he is about to share the rest, Allison cutting him off not uh, to not to while smiling. They are all excited um, that their costume, what their costumes are going to be since it's going to have a twist. Ray calling it classic. They continue talking, Allison cutting off the conversation, asking Karen if she spoke to her grandmother. Karen uh, claims that she did and that they had a real nice talk at her office. Allison doesn't believe her, Ray suggesting that being a first. She claims that it was nice. Lori walks into the restaurant apologizing for being late. Karen is surprised, and Allison is happy to, uh, happy to see her grandmother. She introduces herself to Cam. He shakes her hand, introducing himself back. She asks Allison how to, how to go. Um, she shows off her, sh- her sash. Lori sharing that she was in the Honor Row Society as well. Yeah, and I thought that was a great little touch there, too. Yeah. Like, we, we got that kind of brief reminiscent aspect of Lori's past life, like the innocent babysitter right back in 1978. Good in school. Right. Like, you know, like that, that I thought was really endearing. And that to me is one of the saddest scenes in this movie Yeah, is when she mentions like, you know, I was on our role society too. Look at me now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm all damn crazy person. <laughs> I've been waiting <laughs> for this man my whole life. <laughs> Karen asks for Lori to sit down. She tells Karen that she's good, that uh, she's good, and continues speaking to Allison while chucking down a glass of wine. And it's Ray's wine. He's like, "That's mine." <laughs> <laughs> Karen takes a glass, telling her that this is the reason why they don't reach out. She apologizes, agreeing to sit down. She be- she begins to cry. Ray asking her to stop. I thought that was such a dick move. Yeah, he's like, uh, she's like, stop this. He's like, what? What like, do you? She's mean? breaking down right now. What do you? Yeah, like. Show some fucking empathy, man. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. And, like, granted, like, sure, this is this might be, like, a constant occurrence for them, but still. But they you know that was a, a fucking asshole. Yeah, they know it was a big day for her today, right. specifically. They're transferring right. this guy. They know about that. Yeah. Do they, though? I would assume so, because... She talked about it in a way, but well, she didn't. talks about it right now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe right? they didn't like know. She, she said she um, she starts apologizing and she uh, shares that she saw the shape, claiming that she wanted to kill him, um, but she didn't know what to do, and she wanted to kill That's him right. right then and there. That's fair. Uh, Ray and Karen try to calm her, calm her down. Karen suggesting a walk, asking if she is going to try try to put the past behind her, but Lori can't. She gets up from the table, leaving out of the restaurant. Allison going after her. Lori is standing outside, crying as she faces the road, Allison hugging her as she sobs into her shoulder. Karen is, st- is uh, standing next to her daughter as Lori is leaving, glad that she got to see that, admitting that she never told her how she spent her childhood. Flash to a quick montage of Karen learning how to shoot and when she was when she was eight and she learned how to fight, having nightmares about the basement, explaining that the social services came when she was 12 and took her away. Mm. I mean... I don't blame social services. Right. 
like, yeah, this was not a lifestyle that a child should live, for sure. Um, Karen spent her entire life trying to get over the paranoia and neurosis that Lori has projected on her. Ray and Cam come back over to them, Karen asking what she is going to do with herself. Ray kisses her on the forehead, answering that it isn't her job to save her and she'll be okay. Cut to a kid uh, and his dad driving down the road, his son not understanding why they, why they had to come, come out again. His dad asks if he doesn't enjoy it. He claims that he does, but he miss, he's missing dance class. And I thought this was interesting to add. In right. here, like the whole burly dad type, where it's just like, oh, I want my son to do quote unquote manly like hunting things and stuff like that, versus my son being interested in dance. Like he's like, are you really truly interested in dance? It's like, is that a problem? Right. Like, is that a big deal that he's interested in dance? Like, there's a lot of famous dancers. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. like, I don't understand. I actually but, really like this kid actor too. He's actually pretty good. I thought he was great. Yeah. I thought he was great. Um, I thought what happened to him like, fucking sucks. <laughs> but, which I'm actually... Honestly, I'm, when we get to it, I, was, I have something to say about okay, that. Okay, all like, right. I was kind of happy about it. Well, I'll tell you why. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. You say this. It's weird. They yeah, yeah, yeah. about 100%. their virgins, <laughs> virgins of importance until his son yells for him to look out. The man slams on his brakes, almost hitting one of the patients from the wreckage of the, of the bus. He tells his son to stay there and call the police as he gets out of the car to check on them. He asks if they are all right, one of the patients banging on his window. His son calls the cops, sharing, them, uh, sharing what's going on and that his dad went to go look. He puts the line on hold, claiming that he'll go check. He gets out of the car... Which I was like, why would a police officer ask that? What are you checking? What are you asking this boy to check? Yeah, why are you letting this kid go outside? Yeah. Yeah. There's a wreckage on the road. Also, why did the dad leave him? Why didn't you guys just call the cops together? Like Exactly. Granted, sure, you probably want to help somebody, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. He um he puts the line on hold. He goes out of the car with a rifle in his hand. He calls for his dad yes. as he cautiously approaches the wreck. He notices a cop dead on the ground, pointing his gun um or almost dead, I guess. Um, <laughs> pointing his gun at the officer, he touches him with the butt of the gun. The officer reaches for him, causing the boy to fall to the ground. He tells the officer to wait there, and he'll get his dad. Uh, the, the officer whispers no, yelling for him to run instead before falling mm. dead on the ground. He's like, run! <laughs> <laughs> the boy screams for his dad while looking around. A pain grunt comes from inside the bus. He goes inside the bus to have a look. And this is scary. Yeah, this this is scene is great. Scary. The lighting is so Fantastic. good in this, too. The, just the use of headlights and it's the fog and you see him like silhouette go through the fog with a gun. It looks so badass. It looks this so great. great. Yeah. It is great. And, and this is like Unbelievable. genuinely so scary yeah. because there's so much tension here. Yes. And it's just, this is a it's, really scary uh, such scene. such a great use of lighting. Absolutely. It's insane. Sartain pops up out of the, out of the chair yelling for the boy to not yeah. shoot. The boy says, fuck that, and shoots him anyway. <laughs> in the <laughs> shoulder, and runs out of the bus back to his dad's truck. He's about to drive away, Michael in the back seat, choking and killing the kid by snapping his neck. Now, Freddy, you say this, please. Yeah, okay, okay. Like I, it, it's fucked up to say, 100%. Like, the reason why I like this as our first kill that we see that Michael Myers does is that it is a kid. Yeah. That it sucks. Show, it shows you that this is how brutal that's why is. it gives us a lot of context of Mike Myers as a character of yeah. just not like giving a fuck balls to fucking kill yeah, a like, child kind of and thing. the script to have that even be the first kill that we see I was like damn alright this is setting the stage like 
this is a different Mike Myers. Yeah. It's like you heard that he killed five people. I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty small body count. I didn't realize that in the first original movie. It's only in one night though. Fair. But <laughs> okay. But then we got this movie and then we got the sequel and then you sure. know it, no, they upscale a little no, bit. No, no, I, I feel um, that. Yeah, I was like, all right, this content is like... I mean, see, that's another... Um, it's so funny you say that, though. Yeah. It's so funny you say that, because once again, that goes back to tragedies being subjective. Right. Because, like, that's now true. in this day and age of... Which is fucking sad to say, school shootings being a norm and in yeah. America, and um, kind of these mass shootings being kind of this norm, and we're seeing these crazy body counts with some of these mass shootings, and... It's so sad. Five should be a lot to us. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's so, true. like, that should be a lot to us, but... And I think we see that a lot in horror movies. It's like, you have to constantly go bigger and go bigger right. and go bigger. Right. And that's not usually... It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. But I like it more contained. I agree. More about the characters itself. Me too. That's why the first one is such a classic. Yeah. And it doesn't have a huge, quote-unquote, body count. Right. But... I agree. It's 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 intense scene to see a kid die first. I'm like, fuck this movie. Don't oh, give yeah. a fuck. And I'm yeah. like, they're like, all right, let's go for everybody. this ride. Yeah, it lets you know that no one's safe. Yeah, exactly. That's what it truly yeah. uh, hones in on. Cut to cut to Officer Hawkins inside a convenience store playing pinball. He uh, gets a call on on his radio about the accident. Hawkins heads over to the bus wreckage, calling out if anybody needs assistance. The officer doesn't respond. He calls he calls it in that he needs backup. He continues moving, shining his light on on the boy's father on the fa- on the boy's dead father on the ground with his neck snapped. He's like, oh, God. Oh, God. Looks gnarly. And he probably thought it was from the wreckage. He probably didn't think, like, someone did this. He probably, for him, he's like, oh, God, this guy fell out. Like, God damn, he got fucked up. <laughs> uh, he burst open the, the back door of the bus for, and for Sartain to show his hands. He weakly uh, mentions that he's been shot. Ha- um, Hawkins tells him to stay, stay with him, asking what happened in there. Sartain asks if he escaped. Hawkins asks who. Now October, October 31st, the podcaster is walking through the Haddonfield Cemetery speaking with the caretaker, Sandra, who we get a great call back to in the Halloween sequel. Kills. Yep, yep, so, yep. Very interesting. Interesting. She points to Judith, Judith Myers' grave. The podcasters both sit in front of the grave, Dana speaking into the microphone. Quote, as she sat, combing her hair, her six-year-old brother crept in um, quietly with a kitchen knife. End quote. Michael is watching them from afar as Aaron continues. Quote, he then proceeded to slice the base of her skull, scraping her spinal cord. When she, when she turned, raising her hands in self-defense, he continued stabbing into her nerves and arteries in her palms. Three more stabs into her sternum, penetrating her heart. End quote. Flashes of Michael as a child stabbing Judith. Sandra notices Michael standing at, at a tree watching them. Hawkins is at, is at the hospital watching over Sartain. He calls, he calls by, he Excuse me. He's called by Sheriff Barker, sharing um, that they are still checking IDs of the patients that they recovered. I really hope they use Sheriff Barker a lot more in Halloween Kills or Halloween Ends. Uh huh. Because I feel like he needs to do something. Right. Because he he's just here anything. to be here at this point. He's literally walking from scene to scene, just talking about what's happening. And right. That's it. <laughs> it's just like I. I want him to do something. I yeah. want him to take a few shots. I honestly, you know what I want? I want uh, the Buster Rhymes fight scene in Halloween. Uh, was that Resurrection, or is that or is that H two O? That's H two O. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I want that scene again. Like, <laughs> give me some fucking kung fu, Michael Myers battle. 
trying to figure out who's who, almost have uh, almost having them all accounted for, sharing uh, where they found them all. He asked for about Sartain. Hawkins shares that he's been in and out, lost a lot of butt, blood, and somehow managed to fall on a bullet. What? He was trying to get the. Uh, get the whole story he shows barker the list of the patients michael's name highlighted explaining who, um, who he is and being 40 years to this day barker is nervous knowing that um that they are going to have a circus on their hands um, since he's loose on halloween night he laughs that they can't just cancel halloween and it's like <laughs> it's weird that he did that it's like what are we gonna do cancel halloween it's like is that a callback to maybe Jaws? Like, are you guys going to cancel, like, Fourth of July? <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe that was a callback. I don't know. I don't know. Or either, no to that. It but. wasn't great. Um, Dana is looking at autopsy reports. Michael's murders in the, uh, in the car. Excuse me. Dana is looking at autopsy reports. Michael's murders in the car at, um, at a gas station. While Aaron is filling up so he can take a message from our sponsors. And we're back. Michael pulls up next to a mechanic working on the car. How scary. Like how you just see him just driving on in. You're just like, oh, oh. shit. But I love the, how this all is, is felt. Plays out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Data shares that she needs to use the bathroom, putting the, like way too much information. She's like, I really need to go for number two right now. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, Dana. Dana shares that she needs to use the bathroom, uh, putting the reports into the trunk next to Michael's blood-stained mask. In the background, Michael's walking over to the mechanic. Dana heads inside. A local woman looking at at him... Um, excuse me. Dana, Dana heads inside. A local woman looking at Aaron as he continues pumping his gas. He throws up a peace sign as the sounds of machinery come to a halt. A bar falling in the background. This is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. Dana asks the clerk where the bathroom is. He directs her as Michael is is in the other garage, beating the living shit out of the mechanic. Yeah. She heads inside the bathroom, picking the most looking decent toilet that she can find. Um, and honestly, all of that, I would be like, I'll hold it. Right. I'll hold it. It's fine. I won't shit my pants right now. Go back to the motel. <laughs> yeah. Go back to the hotel. Yeah. Like, I'll hold it. A man slams open the door and closes it, pushing open every stall door until uh, until eventually getting to Dana's door. She's scared, nervously looking at the tall man, not noticing that it is Michael. He tries to open the door. She grabs the handle, confidently saying that someone's inside there. He stops, moving aside. She rolls her eyes. Meanwhile, Aaron is trying to get, get the clerk's attention to pay. The clerk's head is facing down. The camera uh, moving to show that his face has, ba- has been bashed in and the bottom half of his jaw is missing. It's pretty wild. Aaron goes inside the garage, about to enter the clerk's office, but a machine whirls behind him. He notices the mechanic beaten to death with a hammer next to him and his clothes taken off of him. Aaron looks around for a moment. Back with Dana, the man dropping teeth into her stall. Damn. This is fucking awesome. I remember this being in, in the, the trailer, trailer and yeah. how intense this was. Yep, I yep, watched yep. it so many times. I'm pretty sure this is what won us over. It's like, yeah, we're all going to watch this movie. Yeah. It's like, this is going to be the gnarliest I shit think this was back ever going to see. I was back in retail, too. Probably. Yeah. Because yeah, this was. Yeah, I think it was, actually. Because um, I remember us all watching it. And it's just. I played it over and over and over again. 
She flips the fuck out, trying to escape as she crawls underneath the other stalls. She screams for help as Michael grabs her. She fights. She tries to fight him off, continuing to scream for Aaron. He violently shakes the stall. Aaron bursts into the bathroom with uh, with a crowbar. He calls out to Michael, then takes a hit um, hit at him from the cr- uh, with the crowbar. But that's not enough for Michael. He's easily overpowers Aaron's, taking him and smashing his head repeatedly into the wall. Dana grabs the crowbar and continues to hide inside the stall. Uh, Michael uh, uses him as a as a battering ram to open the door. Jesus, God damn! Once o- once open, he pushes his head in, um, aside, choke choking Dana as he lifts her lifts her up until she dies. Michael goes to the trunk of the car, of their car, grabbing the, his mask as he takes a slow breath. <laughs> this is intense as fuck, dude. Which is uh, yeah, the brutality of this scene alone really gets me and i was like damn this is really brutal and these are characters that we've just been introduced to and yeah. we're 40 minutes into the movie and they're like nah those people that you know now they're gone right and they they definitely are gone in a very brutal way for sure yeah. um you know it's interesting when i see scenes where someone has to get their head bashed in <laughs> um it always reminds me on how much more intense they can be after seeing things like um like what Guillermo del Toro does like in Pan's Labyrinth with the bottle mm. yeah, and a... um also uh in Crimson Peak with the uh sink oh like yeah. it, like that it, scene it all reminds like, me of like that and I'm just like like wow this is so brutal but fuck it could be more brutal <laughs> like it's just you know like it looks like a wrestler like when they like get their heads bashed in and things like that in this movie, um, where it's just like, oh wow, that looks kind of like a wrestler who gets kicked in the face and they have the fake blood on them and shit like that, like the packets or whatever. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Cut to the accident on the news. Lori is in the kitchen making strawberry milk. I don't know what she's doing, but it's like like kind of pinkish powder that she's putting inside of milk. Oh, protein, obviously. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's strawberry milk. She stopped stirring <laughs> that she's... Are you looking at the scene right now? Yeah. It looks like strawberry milk. It's like basically strawberry milk. Yeah. She stops um, stirring and when she hears that the bus um, that Michael was on crashed. She looks... She um, locks... Excuse me. She locks up her home, pre- uh, preparing herself for his possible arrival, opening her basement through the floor from a remote that moves from the center island. Karen comes home, hearing faint creaking upstairs and nothing, and um, and noticing that her door is open, she puts the grocery bags on the counter, hearing the continued creaking upstairs. She calls for her husband and daughter while looking around, looking at the stairs. Ray comes inside the house from the backyard. She shushes him. Lori startles her, saying, "Gotcha, you're dead." <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Karen asks, "What is she doing in her house?" Lori, correcting her, asks. Uh, changing the question to how did I get in your house in the first place? Commenting that she doesn't have a security system and her side window was open. She insults Karen. Ray chiming in um, that this is his home and he could take care of his family. He continues speaking. Lori ignoring him, mentioning that uh, the bus crashed. Karen doesn't understand. Lori has a plan, asking for Allison, suggesting that they need to get out of there. Karen asks about the bus again, Ray approaching her to put down the gun. She tells him to back off. Karen shouts that she needs help and that she isn't welcome there until she she gets it. Lori responds that she tries to protect her and prepare and prepare her. And now that now they have to hunt him down. Karen grabs her, assuring her that the world isn't what it used to be. 
It's rainbows and butterflies and hugs. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird conversation that it has. Like, it's full of love and understanding, and I'm not letting your psychotic rants stop me from seeing the world this way. I'm like, it's like an angst what? teen talking to their yeah, mom. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing. I love the positivity, though. Right on. Good yeah. job, Karen. Good job, Karen. Laurie tries to hand her the gun, but Allison, or excuse me, but uh, Karen denies it, telling her to leave. Back at the gas station, Hawkins and the other cops find the bodies that Michael left in his wake. He goes outside, looking into a crowd, noticing Laurie standing there. Barker calls for Hawkins' attention to look at the state the state issued hospital gown. He wants them to get um, Smith's Grove's. Smith's Grove on the phone to confirm the match. Hawkins shares that he was there that night and um, that they have one order of business to hunt Michael down. He looks back into the crowd, Lori leaving. He comments there is um, there is a reason uh, to fear this night. Now Halloween night, kids trick-or-treating. Two kids run into Michael as he looks around on the street. And I want to point out here, the kids chanting. They're chanting this song, Black cats and goblins and broomsticks and ghosts, covens and witches with all of their host. You may think they scare me. You're probably right. Black cats and goblins on Halloween night. I love it. That's a cool little chant. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. And it's chanting as Michael goes inside of the back of the house toward the shed of in one of the best fucking tracking shots. shots yeah, in so modern good. Modern cinematic history. It's He's so like well centered. So it's so like it's uh, perfect this is a perfect scene this is perfectly um exposed this is perfectly shot this is everything here is composed perfectly in this shot here yeah it's great it's crazy it's a great scene like even his shadow casting off the wall yeah fucking it's rules. the camera angles blow my mind yeah he goes and or he grabs a hammer and heads inside the house where a woman is making a sandwich. Inside the kitchen, he beats the woman, but we don't see the we don't see it until the aftermath. He, in or excuse me, we don't see it. We don't see the aftermath until he grabs the knife on a on a counter. The baby so is good. crying in another room. He approaches it, but leaves the baby alone. I remember us being so nervous in the theater. Right, she's like, oh, no, they won't go, go there. there. They won't go. They there. are yeah. not gonna go there. No way. And they didn't. Instead, yeah. he heads back outside, holding, um, heading down the sidewalk. A couple, a couple dressed as a doctor and a nurse are pre preparing to leave. The man going back um, from from his uh, for his stethoscope, uh, the which they use the gag again in Halloween Kills. Yeah, which I was like, the gag. Oh, I forgot my yeah. Like, the gag like, wasn't yeah. funny in this. Why were you gonna use it again? Okay, it's cool to see these characters because I didn't realize it the first couple oh, times. Was, no. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. I see them. I know them. Yeah. The woman stares at Michael, but the man comes back and they leave. He sees another woman inside inside our house answering a phone, hearing some news that that uh, that wants her to keep her doors locked. Michael looks at her through through her front window before heading inside um, through the back. The camera stays in in the front of the house. The woman closing her blinds as she looks looks nervously out of her window. Michael inside of her house coming up behind her, grabbing her head. The woman screams. He hits her he hits her head on the couch post and stabs her in the neck. <laughs> what a crazy kill too! Oh, nuts! God damn. Got to the Halloween party uh, where Oscar is talking, uh, is taking Allison and Cam's pictures oh, so as they are dressed up as Bonnie and Clyde. Cam being Bonnie, Allison being Clyde. That was a big surprise. Um, inside the school, everyone is dancing and having a good high school time. This is a high school as fuck. This is like one of those scenes that like you can tell 
was filmed by people who haven't been in high school for years. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Allison uh, rings, uh, rings. Allison fo- Allison's phone rings and it is Vicky. She tells Cam that she has to take it and leads out of the gym to take her call, wishing that she was there. Vicky wishing that she was there too. Vicky is babysitting a kid named Ju- uh, Julian. Um, she asks, she asks, how is Cam and if he's uh, looking good in her grandma skirt? Allison gets another call from her grandmother. She declines the call. Vicky suggests that they come over uh, where. Uh, come over there when they are done and that Dave is on on his way there now mentioning that Julian's parents aren't going to be back until super late Allison agrees and they hang up Julian comments that he he heard what she said <coughs> excuse me he uh, heard that what, what she said and what they're going to do and have her friends come over to smoke some weed <laughs> now Julian was funny as fuck he's my favorite character in this movie great. He was funny as hell. He's though. the smartest character in this movie. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Don't go up there, Dave. You're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday <laughs> first. That's one of my favorite lines. Go sit Dave first. <laughs> that shit was great. They have a hilarious back and forth. Vicky forcing him to go to bed. She chases him up the, up, up the stairs, tucking him in bed. Um, he asks for her to leave the door cracked open. She does so before wishing him a good night and going back downstairs. Julian looks at his closet door, noticing the door is cracked and the light is on. I have to ask, do you think Michael Myers is already in the house yeah. at this point? You do? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I do too. Um, it's, it's one of those things, like, it works perfectly as a horror movie, but, like, I'm just thinking about, like, characters and, like, how people are written and stuff like that, where it's like, what's Michael Myers' like, motive here? It's like, let me go upstairs, go into this closet, stay no, there for a very this, long time, the, and I'm then do something so about it. I'm so happy you bring this up here, because... I think the whole aspect of Michael is just him trying to go home. He is. Right. And we learned that in, in Halloween sequel. Kills. Yeah. Uh, but I think he doesn't remember where his house is, which is why he keeps going to house to house. Okay. And I think that's 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 how I picture it. Is that he doesn't he just knows like this is the neighborhood. I don't remember what house it is. Because it's 40 years. That's true too. Right? Yeah. Like he when he according to nineteen seventy eight, when he killed his sister, he was taken away and then he came back and he, he was all like, Oh, I'm trying to go home again. Oh Lori, uh, why you? <laughs> um, but uh it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know, like this is this is super intriguing and I, I think that's what the concept of this is supposed to be, is that he's just trying to figure out like where the fuck do I live? Like, <laughs> right. that's like where's my house? Um but I'm with you too on on some of these here. Like, there's a few things where I don't, and I think that's one of the reasons where it's just like why the podcasters are trying to do what they're doing, trying to understand like why did you do what you do? Why did you kill these specific people? Why Lori? Like, and I think that's that's supposed to be one of the concepts here. With Michael is just the epitome of evil, right? He just he kills just does to kill. Right. Um. Like there is no rhyme of reason. Like you're not even like you're not in his way. You can't understand it. Right. Because there is no understanding. Exactly. Like he is an entity of evil's way. He just kills to kill. Like he literally goes out of his way to kill. Right. So he picks and chooses. Sometimes, like we see that in the sequel too. It's like right. Sometimes he doesn't kill anyone. Yeah. And then he picks and chooses when to have fun. Yeah. And like, and I'll explain that a bit more a a little later. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the party, Allison is looking for Cam. She spots him kissing another girl. That's <gasps> bullshit. Um, he turns. I do. I do not like Cam's character in this. Although I do feel like he was slightly redeemed in kills. Yeah. 
and I felt really bad about him, the way he got fucked up. But that scene was also, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about it later. Uh, he turns away, spotting Allison cry in the crowd as she watches him. Allison leaves out of the of the gym. He chases after her. She asks what was uh, what that was. He tries to play it off. She grabs his flask, upset that he has it, asking about it. He um, grabs it back, claiming that Kim uh, was just whispering something in his ear. Oof. He tells her that uh, that it's not a big deal. She asks if Oscar um, got him fucked up, but he tells her that he got himself fucked up. She's uh, she is about to walk away as he gr- uh, as her phone is ringing. He grabs her, taking her phone and throwing it in a bowl of nacho cheese. She chuckles in um, kind of in like a, a way of just like what the fuck, man? like really? You just like, did that? like what, what the, the fuck, the fuck is going like, on? Come on. Um, she chuckles, Cam being a total dick, wondering if she's going to get it or is if or if he has to. She tells him that she's done and walks away. Oscar overhearing. Lori is uh, is driving driving down the road as she listens to the police scanner. Back with Vicky washing dishes as someone breathes heavily as they watch her from the uh, from the window. Great callback to the original here as well because it's the sheets that are outside drying. Right. Same thing with Lori looking out the window and. Uh, Michael Myers is standing there as well. She drives a uh, she drives a kitchen knife and grabs the trash to throw it away. Um, outside, she is startled by Dave um, neighing. Nay. He laughs. He laughs, apologizing, uh, telling her that he didn't want to. He didn't want to ring the doorbell to wake up and wake up Julian. They head inside the house. She tells him um, that they have the whole house to themselves until Allison and Cam came up come over. He shows her his new tattoo, and it is pretty much a turn-on for her, and she begins making out with him. This was interesting. He was just like, yeah, so we can remember this night. Yeah. Remember this night for what? Like, did I miss something? No. I, did they have something planned for this night? Was it the first time that they were going to hook up all the way, maybe? No, because she said she was going to dry hump him. She's yeah. like, you're, she was like, you're totally going to get dry fucked right now. I think, as a joke. I don't know. I don't know. Because they, they it seemed like that's what they were doing. Well, that, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, fair, fair, fair. So I don't know. They continue making out on the couch until they hear a thumping noise. She stops kissing him, asking if, if he heard a noise. He didn't. Um, <laughs> or he claims he didn't. But she wants him to take she wants him to go take a look. He gets he gets up to take a look. Uh, Julian comes running down the stairs. He's frantic as he tells him that he saw someone standing outside his door. Dave makes fun of him. Julian tells him to shut up. <laughs> and that he heard him breathing. I love it. He's like, shut the fuck up, Dave. I heard him breathing. <laughs> and the boogeyman is in his house. Vicky tells him that she will go check it out. Um, He asked her to send Dave first. <laughs> Amazing. She comments that, that it is fine and she will protect him. But Julian is not feeling this. He tells her that um he was standing right there in, the, in his doorway. She goes inside the room faking as if if she sees someone and is asking them to leave coming back to scare julian she um, tells him that he's safe and that nobody is in there julian isn't so sure wondering if she checked um behind the curtains meanwhile dave is outside smoking some weed dave is interesting he's an interesting character yeah um i do find this kid to be an extraordinary actor just not in this movie where's he from daniel isn't real Oh shit! <laughs> That's where I recognize him. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's great. Daniel isn't real, and his name—I am blanking on his name, but his name Miles Robbins. Miles Robbins, his name. Yeah, um, but yeah, great I, actor. I do find him to be a pretty good actor, but in this movie, I find him to just be okay. Yeah, like he doesn't like wow me. Well, they don't give him enough screen time to do really anything but become a victim in a way. That's true. 
very true. He notices that the garage, <clears throat> excuse me, he notices that the garage door is open. He heads inside to take a look. Vicky is putting um, Julian back down for bed, trying to convince him that he's safe. Stupid Dave is fucking around in the garage with, the, with their motorcycle, pulling the throttle. Yeah. How did no one, like, hear that? See, that's why I thought about this entire scene, too. It's like, oh, okay, is this going to be a moment where it's like he's going to be in the garage? He's revving the engine so he doesn't hear the screams to save his, like, girlfriend. Right. But they don't even use that. I was like, what's the point of the scene? Like, I'm confused. He could have been just back on the couch. and Yeah, just waiting. Like, there's no purpose of him going outside and then seeing him go into the garage just to see him come back inside. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 felt I, like, I felt like it was added as as literally as filler. Yeah, this could have been a, del- a deleted scene. Right. <laughs> like, it, it just felt like filler to have the runtime be longer. I guess, yeah. But, yeah, because this whole scene takes, like, three minutes. This is long. Yeah. Like, this is a long scene of, of her talking to Julian and him in the garage fucking around, and then he has to come back inside and grab the knife. Like, this is long. And we don't even get satisfaction of seeing him kill Dave. We just see the right. aftermath. Um, he gets off, or he gets off of it, dropping it to the ground. Julian asks for Vicky to um, to close his closet door. She agrees to do so. When she tries to do so, it won't close. She opens the door. Michael's standing there. He slashes at her arm. Julian gets the fuck out. He's like, oh, oh shit, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she throws a chair at, at Michael, running, uh, making a run for it, and slipping on the hardwood floor from her socks. Literally, this is my thought. Every time I wear socks on hardwood floor, so I never do. I always wear slippers. That's fair. And like heavy duty slippers, like legit some uh, some LL beans. <laughs> so because of this reason alone, like I've always feel like if I'm getting chased in my house and I got socks on and someone else has shoes on, they're at an advantage here. That's true. I'm yeah, slipping yeah. and sliding all over the fucking place. You're making me rethink my whole entire life. <laughs> we're uh, no shoes in the house type of household. And uh, I feel you. I, I, I have feel slippers. I mean, no shoes, though, is fine if you don't have your socks on. I mean, if a killer comes into our house, he better take his shoes off, too, before trying to kill us or something. <laughs> Wait. Shit. Take uh, shoes off first. <laughs> bad behavior. <laughs> now you can chase me. <laughs> you can disrespect me, but don't disrespect my house. <laughs> she sobs and screams for him that, for help as Michael grabs her by the leg. I love her screams because yeah. she can't really scream. Um, like... And I just think that's Virginia Gardner. Um, like, she just doesn't know how to scream. Um, <laughs> and I love it, though. Yeah, it works. It works really well because it feels, you feel the pain of her trying to scream. Right. And it's and it gets, like, kind of hidden or squeaky and things like that. And I really Yeah, like she's that. very enthusiastic. She's actually a pretty good actress. Oh, I love I'm her. Saying, like, I think the, she's great. The, I, don't, I haven't seen her in anything else, I don't think. But I think right. she's really, really good. And again, short screen time for her as well. Yeah. Um, I'm, now I'm kind of curious. Like, what has she been in? Um, I'm going to click on her name here on IMDb really quick because I am now kind of curious. Um, Almanac. Wow. The found footage movie. Oh, she's in The Runaways. Um, Oh, that's Marvel, right? Yeah, it's Marvel. Actually, I've never seen it either. Um, Nothing too big. Gemstones is Lucy, but I don't remember her there, which makes sense because The Righteous Gemstone is also uh, David Gordon Green. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Dave hears it. Hears and heads back inside. Michael pulls pulls her back in inside Julian's room. Julian is running outside, warning Dave to not go up there. He's gonna get killed. <laughs> no, Dave, don't go up there. You're gonna die. Michael stabs stabs um stabs her in the back. Dave grabbing a knife uh, and heading upstairs. Michael slams the door shut. 
Mm. Hawkins is driving down the road. He gets a call about the domestic disturbance. Hawkins responds to the call, Lori um, turning her car around as well. Shout out to the Silver Shamrock costumes as we see him walking down. Right. So there you go again. Hawkins pulls up uh, uh, pulls up to the neighborhood, cautiously going up to Julian's house with his guns with his gun drawn. He calls out to whoever might be in the house before going inside. He moves throughout the house, Lori making her her way there, yelling for the kids to get to get out of there. Hawkins continues upstairs, spotting the blood from Vicky trailing into Julian's room. Inside, he notices someone sitting with a sheet over, over them and two holes cut out. Cautiously approaching them, he reaches for them, pulling the sh uh, sheet off of Vicky's body. Now, this is what I mean where Michael has fun with his kids. Right. Like, with some of them. Like, not every kill is a kill where he wants to position the body. Right. And I don't... I've never understood this. I've never understood like why to display it. Why are some people displayed and why are some not? Yeah, it's very interesting too because we see a whole entire set piece of like her with the covers on, with the holes already dug out too. Like he took his time. Yeah, he took his time. Yeah, he even went downstairs, got the fucking pumpkin, and put it in the aquarium for some reason. I'm like, okay, yeah. you do you, boo. Like um, it just it doesn't. I've never understood this. I can see as like maybe it's like the childlike mentality of him being a killer on Halloween night. He likes to celebrate Halloween. But why so not everybody that, then? Maybe because it just reminds him of like that's the kid's room. Maybe and he's well, like this the, makes me feel like a child again. again and like decorate. And then maybe he saw like oh that's a flashlight. Jack o' lanterns have flashlights or not really, but. I'm trying to make sense of why he does what he does too. Yeah, because we see this and that's what everyone wants, right? Everyone's trying to make sense of what he does, but he just does things. Right. There is no understanding. Yeah, and I think that's just it. even like, though it's breaking down this movie, we're trying to understand him, but there is no understanding. Right. Because I just I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I've always found this weird, and I've always been like, "Damn, you took yeah. all that time to do all of this. Why are the where the fuck are the cops? Right? Why aren't you there yet? Come on." Lori sees a reflection of Michael in the mirror upstairs. She takes a shot at him, um, hitting the mirror. Hawkins sh um, spots Michael walking down the stairs, shooting at him and missing. He chases him, but stops when he notices Dave's body pinned up, pinned to the wall. Michael is um, outside, continuing his stroll. Lori um, shooting him in the back of his head. A closer look at Dave's body, a knife um, through his neck, being being what nailed him to the wall. His tattoo saying ten thirty one eighteen. Nice dude. Cool. Meanwhile, Lori, I don't like that. I don't. Like, I, <laughs> You're like, I, I really don't like, like his I tattoo. Really don't like it. Like, well, I don't like the tattoo either. But oh. I, just, I don't like this. That that portion of the scene. Like, I don't. Un I don't understand why they had to show that. They don't. The tattoo was like another thing that was just added on to the script for some, some reason. Right. And this is our second time. Or it could be like the director's like, "This is me leaving my mark as like the, the new Halloween from 2018." I think, could be like, I think that might yeah. just be it. Like, yeah. just a calling card for David Gordon Green. Yeah, it's like, and this I is the new Halloween. Right, yeah. Like, this This is the Halloween that this current generation is going to yeah, he's remember. Like, Hopefully, this is the, the movie that sticks to the wall. Ha, 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 ha. Meanwhile, Lori <laughs> is looking for Michael. Hawkins comes up behind her, starting <laughs> startling her, and she hits him in the, in the head. And she doesn't even apologize. She's like, oh, God damn it, Frank. <laughs> With both their guns pointed, he asks, he asks why is she there. She comments that he is there. Cop cars all over the neighborhood. Barker drives up to Sartain. Sartain asking Hawkins um, where Michael is. 
Hawkins returning the question to back to him. Barker and Hawkins are questioning Sartain on what happened during the crash. He comments that Michael overtook the first guard and the driver, knowing that he's no longer dormant. Do you think that actually happened, or do you think Sartain took over the driver? I think he did. Yeah, he did something. He's I, behind everything, I think, in this I movie. I think. But they never really explain it. So I think like, sure, he why not? took off his handcuffs and shackles. Most likely. And he was right next to him the whole entire time. He was. How the hell did he survive? Uh, yeah. I don't know. But I, I think I that's call what shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what happens. I don't know. Uh, him know him only knowing how to keep moving and killing, continuing until he's been captured. Barker takes Hawkins um takes Hawkins, suggesting that Sartain is an asset. Hawkins thinking that he's actually more of a liability, but Barker uh, continues that nobody knows knows Michael more than he does. I mean, it's technically Barker's fault that Hawkins got a fucking scalpel to the neck, but hey. Um, Lori comes up to them asking what are they doing, upset that uh, they're just standing there and not doing and wanting them to do something. Sartain gets up, excusing himself from the officers to uh, meet Lori. Barker introducing them to each other. He tells her that he's Michael's uh, doctor. She calls she calls him the new Loomis. Yeah. Sartain smiles cool. that he he's read everything about her and Michael, asking if she knew that Hawkins was the first respond if she knew that Hawkins was the first responding deputy in nineteen seventy eight, sharing that he stopped Loomis from killing Michael that night. She looks at Hawkins, um, telling him that she would pray every night that he would escape so she could kill him. Hawkins telling her that being a dumb thing to pray for before uh, leaving the two alone. Cut to Oscar and Allison walking down the street, um, talking about Cam, apologizing um, that they will just need to sleep it off. Question here. I'm not a filmmaker, so um, I, this is a genuine question. Uh, why in s- most films, when they have shots of people walking on a street, why are they walking in the middle of the street? I've never understood this. Is it because like there's no room on the sidewalk or... I like mean, to, for no. the filmmakers and the and the, it could be just more of a stylistic choice of like, yeah, but it's, it's in like every movie, right? Like the only movie that I can think of where someone's walking on a sidewalk, genuinely walking on a sidewalk, is Get Out. In the beginning of Get Out, he's, he's that's true on too, a right? That's right. the only movie I can and think of. That's a movie that wants to make everything very realistic. I sure. would say, but like in this, I just don't understand. Like, why is like maybe so they can have a. I think it just looks more appealing. Yeah, maybe it's a more like a shot. Maybe exactly. I think it's like more that. about that. You probably won't have a thing. very great symmetrical shot on the sidewalk. Because maybe? even um, earlier on, we get some great scenes of like Michael Myers walking down on the sidewalk and stuff like that too. Uh, while they're, everyone's trick or treating, he goes through like you know the houses and stuff right, like that. Right, but it's not but, centered. No, but this is like a shot. It's like cool. Now we're diving into these other characters. Mm-hmm. I think it's just centering the shot. Okay. I, that's how I feel. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm just genuinely curious. And I'll be I, honest, I, I've like, never understood. Even me as a person, if there's like really empty streets and it's like late at night, sometimes I walk in the middle of the street for no reason. Why? Because I can. Yeah, I don't do But that. that's separate from the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Don't do that. Very separate. Stay on the sidewalk. Uh, she comments that she tr- uh, that she's uh, tired of everyone letting her down all the time. Um, and you actually see Hawkins' car pass by them. Yeah, in the background. Which is really nice. Um, so maybe that's why. To show that Hawkins passes them by, kind of like Pizza Planet right. trucks inside of Pixar movies, he tells her that she doesn't that she deserves better, calling her the coolest, prettiest, and nicest girl in the school. And if anyone doesn't appreciate that, they are the they are crazy person. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah, it's just like 
cool, dude. I'm going to go home. She thanks him, calling that sweet. He mentions that he knows a shortcut, and um, they move to a di- different direction. Hawkins is with Sartain. He asks if Laurie is crazy. Sartain mentions that there are many, many ways someone deals with trauma. They can grow up weak or strong, but there's another side, the effect of the victimizer, that being what intrigued him through his studies, wondering how a crime like Michael affects him, wondering what, if, uh, what he is feeling, if he's on a random path or... Is he emotionally driven, possibly triggered by something? He wants to know what what he's feeling, wanting mm. to know um, what pleasure he gets out of killing. And a nice little foreshadow here. Hawkins tells him um, that they have to find him and that he's going to pull the trigger this time. Sartain reminds him that he's state property and he mustn't be harmed. He's like, yeah, we'll see about that. The cop cars pull up to Karen's house. Laurie frantically rings the doorbell. Karen opens the door, Laurie telling her that it isn't safe there. Two officers behind her, she asks where Allison is. Karen um, calls her on her phone, sobbing, leaving a message, wanting to know where she is. Laurie grabbing the phone, instructing her to come to her house, and that an officer will take her, take her to them. Meanwhile, Oscar and Allison hop over a fence. Um, I was actually curious... How did Allison, you know, we'll get there. Because now, like, now the ending kind of isn't making sense. Like, how Allison knew about her grandma's house like that. She's never been there. That felt like Well, she just ended up. I know, she ended up there. Okay, okay, yeah. she was just like, Mom, Grandma? Like, she's, like, calling out to them. She could have known that that's probably her house. I don't know. Well, I'll have to assume that, I guess, yeah. That's all, I guess so. Um, he, he helps her down. He helps her. Cause I feel like if she would have known that was her house, she would have known about her grandma having this fucking area of mannequins where she, I mean, maybe it could be like she, your grandma lives out here. Don't go there type of thing with the mom. It's like, maybe. she's crazy. Don't talk to your grandma and like be estranged by I her. Guess, yeah. I don't know. I, I think we're now trying a little plot holes. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, he helps her down. He tries kissing her and she pushes him off. Um, He's he is confused, thinking that thinking that because she isn't with Cam anymore, that she wants to be with him. And she's like, "No, that does not mean I want to be with you." No, you're absolutely one hundred percent wrong. <laughs> he tries to apologize. She turns around, calling him pathetic, and that she's going home. The lights in the yard turns on. He freaks out, and she comments that um, they are motion sensors. And she continues getting off, getting off, getting out of there. He tries to blame it, blame all this on the alcohol. She hops the fence and um and flips him off. And he's like talking about like. He's still being like super gross. Like he's talking about yeah. how horny he is. Like these girls were dancing up on right. me. Just like, like I had guacamole. I was like, what? I was like, oh my god. He's like, they were feeding me guacamole in sexy ways. Okay. It's like, oh no, this is where the humor is coming from. The, yeah. the next movie. <laughs> oh, man, and it's it's interesting because Danny McBride co-wrote this, and Danny McBride usually is really good with his jokes, but right. these don't hit. At least they don't hit a second time or, or second or, or third time around. Like, I don't remember enjoying these jokes in theaters. But, no. Uh, still on the ground, Michael is now behind him. Him um, thinking that uh, it is someone named Mr. Elrod. He tries talking to him in, uh, about the, about not meaning to trespass. He asks him a question, but then apologizes and says that he is just going to leave. The lights turns off. And then um, back on when he gets up, Michael no longer behind him. But on, on the side of him, Oscar tries to tell him that he's leaving and the lights cut back off. He swipes at him with a knife. Oscar screams and runs, pleading for someone to help him. I love this, though. This is a great scene. This is great. Like, it's you, a great use of environment. Yeah. 
Allison overhearing him and call, and telling him to uh, come on. He tries to hop the fence, but his cape um, his cape gets stuck on the bars of the gate. Continuing to scream for someone to help him, Michael stabs him in the back. He gurgles. Allison running back back and spotting Oscar impelled through his chin on the bar. I would have liked that instead of the stab on the back. Right. To be the, the thing that killed him. It would have been could, nuts if you would just pick them up and just like jammed them back right. down. That would have been nuts. Uh, Michael steps over. Um, she runs and screams, knocking knocking on someone's door to let her in. They don't, and she continues running and screaming for people to let her inside, banging on someone's window. The porch light comes on. It kind of made it seem like she was banging on the lady who got stabbed in the neck because the blinds were drawn the same way. Right. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, damn, you don't see the dead lady there? <laughs> Karen is upset and worried that her daughter is not texting or calling her. As they are arguing, Lori tries to tell her that, um, that they need to go inside the house. She continues arguing with them, Lori standing at her doorstep, screaming for Karen, causing them to all seize. And meanwhile, Allison is on the porch as, and the residents trying to help her. Hawkins and Sartain pull up. She is in shock, sharing the news about her friend being killed by Michael. He assures her that they are going to take her uh, to her mom. Cut to Ray, Karen, and Lori heading inside the bunker. Lori lifts the gate, grabs the guns thinking that michael waited for this night for her she wants she waiting for him michael is walking down the road allison is in the back seat of the cop car sartain telling her to keep her eyes open knowing that michael is out there somewhere hawkins gets radioed on where michael is he goes over to him hawkins hitting him with his car sartain screaming for him not to hit him they both get out of the car sartain asking for him not to shoot him uh I, yeah i would have unloaded my whole fucking gun oh for sure guy. like it was like nah not taking any chances. Fuck you, Sartain. Sartain goes to check on him, claiming that he killed him. And he's like, are you happy with yourself? You killed him. And he's like, move out of the way. I'm still going to kill him again. <laughs> Hawkins tells him uh, to stand back because he still is going to uh, shoot him. Sartain pulls out a medical pin, pushing the button and exposing a scalpel. He stabs Hawkins. Allison tries banging on the window for help. Hawkins is on the ground, gurgling from his neck wound. Sartain stands over Michael, not now knowing what it feels like to kill. He rubs his mask, putting it on, Allison terrified when he comes Dude. back up, exposing himself. He stuffs an unconscious Michael in the, in the back seat next to her. She cries as she, as she pushes him off of her. Um, Sartain takes off the mask, um, hopping in the front seat, turning, turning back, sharing that these people want to kill Michael for his crimes, claiming that they will be ready when he awakes. She doesn't understand. He comments, quote unquote, the reunion in his pursuit for Laurie, that being what keeps him alive suspecting that this keeps them both alive he drives off running over hawkins in the process and i i do like that i don't think sartain knows that this is laurie's granddaughter oh no he no, does yeah, he yeah, does because, because they're um, heading towards the that's house that's right that's right you're yeah, right yeah. um but yeah i don't know uh it, you know what's actually really curious to me though as well how the fuck did hawkins survive all this shit in halloween kills Right. He well, got the, ran over. I was about to say that. <laughs> I don't remember him being run over. I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He got stabbed in the Sure, the stab? Okay, I can get it, maybe. Maybe I can get the, the stabbing, but like, oh. Ran over afterwards, though? Damn. Didn't he, like, walk in the Halloween kills? No. No? He, he was in the hospital. The whole time. Okay, yeah, he okay, was in okay. the hospital okay. um, in the same room as Lori. Okay. Yeah. That makes a little bit better. I was like, yeah. yo. Like, um, but he woke up. Uh, also, we kind of cut to those cops talking about fucking bombing sandwiches. sandwiches and like, like brownies. I'm like, what? once again, like the, the the comedy in this movie doesn't really land for me. Um, and it's just awkward. 
it, yeah, and it doesn't fit. Like it, this doesn't feel relieving. This so, like, does, it just doesn't fit. I, I can see like the scene actually working. Like yeah, we we meet these random cops. They can have a little banter between each other, but it's just like the subject matter. It's like what? Yeah, it's like uh, it could have been better. Could have been better. Doesn't hurt to film too. Like it's like it's like all right, whatever. Yeah. It feels like like you said like deleted scenes. Yeah, like it feels like these comedy bits feel like deleted scenes. Yeah. Sartain is driving to Lori's, te- uh, to Lori's, telling Allison that he's worked with Michael for years and um, he has never seen him in an uncontrolled environment before, adding that he's never heard him speak. But tonight, my, may, many possibilities exist. Allison lies that he spoke to her. He's intrigued. She claims that he spoke one word um, to her after murdering her friend. He wants to know what he said. <clears throat> she demands him to let her go and she would tell him. He pulls the car over. The two cops notice in the car in the distance, not knowing who, who that is. They believe it, um, it to be Hawkins, but aren't too sure. Back with Sartain, wondering if Michael said his sister's name, Judith. Allison realizes that Michael is now awake, mask back on his head. Sartain notices that he's awake as well, calling out to him, Michael kicking the gate on top of him <laughs> repeatedly. The cop cars um, call out of the cruiser, but no response. They decide to check it out. Michael um, pulls Sartain out of the driver's seat, dragging him to the uh, middle of the road. Allison gets out, running in, into the woods. Sartain asking for him to say something. Michael smashes his head in with a stomp. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I like the sound too. It kind of reminds me of Iron Man, <laughs> like the song Iron Man, because it's like when he like smashes right. his head. <laughs> uh, the cops pull up, calling out to Hawkins. Why do you think he didn't? You know, kill her for the post. Right. Um, the cops pull up, calling out to um, Hawkins on the loudspeaker. Still no response. They both get out of the car, guns at the ready, moving behind the cruiser, spotting Sartain, but no Hawkins. Michael standing back at the at their car. Meanwhile, Laura is turning off the lights in one of her rooms filled with mannequins. Karen is looking at, at a childhood photo. Laurie turning off turning off the lights in the in a, in her room. She doesn't understand, thinking that they were they were safer there. Laurie shares that she's been uh, preparing for this for a long time. Karen, knowing that she wanted she wanted him to come there, Laurie apologizes, hugging her. Allison continues running through the woods. Ray is playing with the yo-yo, noticing that the cop car is pulling back up in the front of the house uh, on the cameras. He grabs his gun, um, going outside, asking if there has been any word. No answer. He goes closer, asking the question again. He knocks on the window and opens the, opens the door to the officer's dead, one holding the severed head and, and the severed carved head and uh, of the other with the flashlight pointing through it. This is another thing where it's just like Michael just does this shit. Right. Like, he literally just made a jack-o'-lantern yeah, out of some guy's face. he just made a jack-o'-lantern. And it's just like, like, with all that time, right. like, come on, man. You cut this dude's head off. You scooped all you, his you shit out. literally like, take his fuck? skull out yeah. of his head. like Somehow. Somehow. Perfectly. Perfectly. Like It's just like, you know, it's plot holes, but it is what it is. It's fun. Yeah. Sure. It's like, oh, that's cool. That's a creative kill. Michael having fun. Yeah. Ray backs, uh, Ray, uh, backs right into Michael, who chokes him and snaps his neck with ease. He fires a gun, alerting Lori and Allison. Lori moves downstairs with a shotgun calling out to him. Michael cures her inside, staring at the door. She calls for Karen to get downstairs, warning her that Michael is there. She does so, knowing that her husband will not be joining her. Lori waits with her back at the door, looking out and not spotting him. His hand bursts through the window, grabbing her head, and he repeatedly smashes her head into her own Damn. door. Jesus Christ. She's turning her around and grabbing her, um, 
by the neck, lifting her off the ground, choking her. Karen screams for her mom. Lori pulls the gun over her head, shooting off two of Michael's fingers as he tries to grab the barrel of the gun, causing him to let go. Karen points the gun at the stairs as she um, hears the island opening, opening back up. She is relieved that it's Lori. It's showtime. Lori turns on, turns on all the floodlights, engulfing her property with light. They wait for Michael to come inside the house, Lori promising that nothing will happen to her. Michael slowly creeps upstairs, searching for where uh, where they can possibly be. Lori takes a shot at the floorboard. Um, thuds from upstairs are heard. She tells Karen that she has to finish this, cautiously approaching the button uh, to go back upstairs. They both exchange I love yous before Lori heads back uh, um, back upstairs in search for Michael. She points her gun at the closet, whispering for Michael to come out, taking out a flashlight, shining it on the door, then opening it, but nothing inside. She continues her pursuit, carefully walking from room to room, hitting the hitting switches that drops down gates when the room is cleared. Cuts to Allison. This is so fucking cool. It's really cool, yeah. <laughs> Cuts Great to concept. Allison running through the woods of Eventually making it to her grandmother's gun range. I hate this fucking scene. I hate this scene. It's fine until she screams. Like, why are you screaming? No, it's why is no one hearing that too? Like, it's fine until they are like panning from showing all the different types right. of mannequins and having the clown laughter inside of it, then her screaming. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, what are you another easily so deleted stupid. scene? <laughs> This is such a dumb scene. Like, <laughs> but anyway, the rest of this is great, though. Yeah. Lori finds Michael's trail of blood um, following upstairs. One room clear, she goes inside her mannequin room. Michael's blood spilled on on, on some of the large dolls. D um, dots of his blood going inside of a closet. She cautiously opens it uh, to find Ray's body stuffed on the top shelf. Trying the um, the other closet door, nothing there. She faces towards the, uh, towards the mannequin. Wait a second. So you telling me all this time, Michael Myers had time to go back outside, to go back outside, pick up the pick body, pick up Ray, yeah, take him and stuff him in a closet. Yeah, I thought this. Yeah, I and thought the same thing. And then she gets shot downstairs underneath the floorboard. Okay, she faces toward the mannequins. Michael springs out of the corner of of one of them, pinning her to the wall. She fights him off. She pulls out a jackknife, going going for him. He forces her to stab herself with it in the stomach, then grabs her by the neck. She bites his hand. He grabs her face and throws her out of, out of the window. She falls to the ground, Michael looking over the ledge. Allison comes inside Lori's house, calling for her mom and grandma. Michael carrying her downstairs. When he looks back down at the, at the ground, Lori is no longer there. Allison, hmm. aware that her daughter is, is also inside the house, she heads upstairs, whispering out to her to go downstairs, knowing that he's coming. He goes downstairs, Karen locking them, or they go downstairs, Karen locking them both back down in the basement. He looks around. Grabbing a finger of, or excuse me, grabbing a fire poker and heads inside the kitchen. Allison and Karen um, hold their breaths as he, as he tries to break inside. Karen sees her old gun, um, it, that that she would use as a kid, as a child. She tells Allison to stay back as she points the gun up at the stairwell. Uh, Michael rips it open, but uh, but doesn't stand overhead. She cries for her mom, and she can't that she can't do it. Michael steps in. Karen simply saying "gotcha" as she takes the shot, hitting him in the face. Lori appears appears in the darkness with a "Happy Halloween, Michael!" and stabs him. I, the one-liners. Yeah. Uh, he hits her off of him. She takes a cast iron pan, beating the living shit out of him, causing him to fall down the stairs. Lori calls calls for them to come upstairs. Michael sitting back up with the iconic sit up, the Undertaker sit up. 
right. shouts out. Um, he grabs Karen's leg, trying to pull her back down, but uh, pull her back down there as Lori and Allison try to pull her back up. Allison spots the knife. Lori and Karen yelling for her to go and get out of there. She stabs Michael in the arm and slices his hand, Karen ki- um, kicking him kicking him back down. Karen pulls the latch, causing spikes to, uh, to shoot through, trapping Michael. Should have waited just a little bit longer. Right. <laughs> a little bit that would have been a great kill. Fatality. Um, uh, lost my spot. God dang it. Uh, Karen pulls the <laughs> latch, causing the spikes to shoot through, trapping Michael. Lori turns out, turns on the gas and heating these and heating these coil thingies. Michael <laughs> staring at the women from from below. Lori saying her goodbyes as she lights a flare, throwing it down there, igniting her home. He continues staring at them with pure hatred in his eyes. They assist Lori out toward the road. Allison stopping someone driving a truck, asking for the, for them to help them. The, they stop the car, allowing allowing them to um, allowing them on the bed of the truck. Left staring back at the ambers of the burning house. Then, credits. Man, I do enjoy it. Me too. I do enjoy this movie. The, watching it this time around was very fun. A lot of shit that I definitely didn't enjoy in this, but still a lot of shit that makes up for it. Yeah, so, I think this movie, like uh, we were talking about earlier, the Rotten Tomatoes score is what, 79%? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good score for it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does a really good job with setting the franchise up for a really good trilogy that they have set up. Um, I think we'll that's talk a about it. Though, as well. Um, yeah. I think we shouldn't have known that there was going to be a trilogy. I think That's we true definitely too. should have been surprised. Like, oh shit, Halloween kills. Like, oh fuck. Um, yeah. And because like that takes away everything that they did. Like we we know that like oh well there are no stakes right I now. Mean, it depends on how they lay out everything. This could be our reintroduction as Michael Myers as the character, and we learn how well this is a good reintroduction as Michael Myers and Laurie and Laurie right. Um, and then Halloween Kills is all strictly Michael Myers. Right. And I assume Halloween Ends is all going to be strictly Laurie. Um, you know, with the... No, you know, I'm not going to even say the spoilers aspect. But... Um, so I, 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 that's what I assume. I assume that that's what we're going to see um, and how that's going to play out. Because maybe Halloween Ends will make up for what Halloween Kills lacked. And maybe this will just be a really phenomenal trilogy. Right. So, I don't know. But anyway, I got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts? As the original Halloween 1978, Michael Myers is listed in the credits not as Michael Myers, but The Shape. The role of Allison, Laurie's granddaughter, became somewhat of a coveted role. Multiple popular actresses, including Lucy Hale and Emma Roberts, met with Danny McBride to personally talk about the movie. However, the studio decided that they wanted to go back to the roots of the first movie and cast an unknown actress. Similar to how Jamie Lee Curtis was cast in the original. I think that was a very smart decision. Yeah. And she's a great actress. Like, I thought she nailed this role. Um, the song that is playing when the boy boy and his dad notice the bus um, crash is a Western version of the song that Laurie sings throughout the original movie. This song huh. can also be heard during the end credits. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal helped convince Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise her role as Laurie Strode for the film. Jake Gyllenhaal is a family friend of Curtis and is dubbed is dubbed by her as an unofficial godson. That's awesome. That's really cool. I had no idea about that. That is a fun fact. That is a great fact. In the child's bedroom, the, rotra- the rotating lamp features a clown with a knife, a nod to the first killing in the original film. 
Nice. That makes sense. That does make sense. On the TV, the, a newscaster can be heard describing the events of the original film as the babysitter murders. This was originally the title Carpenter wanted for Halloween in 1978. It was only changed to Halloween after the producer Erwin Yablins thought it um, thought up the idea and um, and to be released near Halloween. Uh, this became the highest grossing Halloween film in its opening weekend. I can see that. That That's actually pretty cool. Uh, the date of the film was released in the UK and the USA is the day Michael Myers was technically born, October 19th. What? <laughs> that's cool. All right, let's do one more here. Um, two kids. Nope. We already <laughs> know that. Uh, Danny McBride said that they originally planned to do two back-to-back movies, but they decided to scale, scale it back to one film. We were like, let's learn from this and see what works and see what doesn't, explain McBride, but we definitely have an idea to where um, where we would go with the branch uh, branch of the stories. Uh, hopefully, we can get a chance to do it. Two back-to-back sequels, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, were subsequently greenlit in July 2019. Okay. So I guess we didn't know there was going to be a sequel until the next year. Yeah. But well, that's the thing. We we knew both Halloween kills and ends were going to happen. Yeah. Um, the following year, which I wish we didn't know about ends until after kills. Right. That's that, that's just my complaint. one movie at a time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Take your time with it. Um, but I like I like what they did there. It's fine. Right. Like, you, you know, it's, it's fine. Um, but that that's Blumhouse for you. Right. If you if any movie that does successful at Blumhouse, they're gonna make a sequel. Like <laughs> especially with that low budget and that oh, gross. Yeah. Oh they'd be like, cool, now we can give you a higher budget. They're like three movies instead of two. Kills. <laughs> yeah. So let's do it. But let us know over on Twitter what you think about Halloween 2018, because we definitely want to keep that uh conversation alive over at nightlight underscore pot. That's night with a K. Definitely want to keep that going. But this Next week that we're going to be showing, we're going to be showing The Exorcist 3. Woo! I'm so fucking excited for that. Never seen it. Yes. Never even seen The Exorcist 2, so maybe I'll have to watch that first. No. Okay, <laughs> perfect. <definitely> don't. <laughs> uh, but this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me was Freddy. Always giving it spoopy. Always and forever. Our efforts to get this shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. For the support of the show, over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they were. Okay. Buy a pledge on Patreon. You have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, you don't know. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.